Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dirty Sexy History. My name is Jessica Kale, and today I'm going to take you on a strange journey into one of my biggest obsessions. Now, I know what you're thinking, but we already covered syphilis, so what could it possibly be? Well, for the third episode in our Halloween series, I'm going to tell you all about the Paris Catacombs. Today, the Paris Catacombs have reached mythic status because of the stories associated with them, the movies filmed in them, and the cataphiles who explore the adjacent quarries illegally and at great risk to themselves. If you haven't seen it, As Above, So Below is a terrific movie filmed almost entirely in the catacombs, and it really is the next best way to see them apart from, you know, actually flying to Paris. <laughs> Not that you shouldn't do that. If you get the chance, you absolutely should. But, you know, maybe wait until the plague is over and stay home with a movie and some popcorn for now instead. As scary as the movie is, this is one case where the real history of the place is probably just as bad, and you know I'm going to tell you all about it. <laughs> so sit back, grab a drink, or, you know, maybe don't just for a second, and let me tell you all about the graveyards of 18th century Paris. To say that there was a lot going on in Paris in 1780 is the understatement of the century, but besides the charged political atmosphere, there was one pungent issue affecting everyone that couldn't be ignored. In central Paris, within sight of the popular Les Halles food markets, was the Cemetery of the Innocents. Burials had begun in the 12th century, and almost seven centuries later, they hadn't really stopped. In 1780, it was the main burial ground for a city of more than half a million people, but it was still relatively small. 600 years of bodies for one of the largest cities in Europe were all buried in a space not a whole lot bigger than a football field. So how did they fit them? Well, eventually, they didn't. Now, with this kind of demand, this is not a cemetery with neat individual graves. It was a site of mass burials layered on top of each other over the years. When one pit was filled up with about 1,500 bodies, they covered it up and dug another one, only to put the next 1,500 over the decomposing remains of a previous cycle. Toward the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the French Revolution, bodies were just dumped along the edges of it. The cemetery became a grotesque swamp, perpetually muddy with decay and bulging six feet above street level with 600 years of corpses. Until it burst. Now, much has been said about Paris in the springtime, but the spring of 1780 was not heralded with the scent of apple blossoms and magnolias. In May, a Monsieur Gravelot, a man living in the Rue de la Lingerie, not far from the cemetery, issued a formal complaint that there was a strange smell coming from his basement. It was so strong that it soon permeated the rest of his home, and it made his wife sick. The state sent an inspector to investigate the complaint. In his report, Inspector Antoine Alexis Cadet de Vaux confirmed that toxic vapors from the decomposing bodies interned in the cemetery had made it into Monsieur Gravelot's home, as well as the houses of some of his neighbors. 
But it wasn't only the unlucky residents of the Rue de la Lingerie who noticed the smell. Around the same time, Louis-Sébastien Mercier, a chronicler of life in Paris, wrote that the smell alone threatened to poison the atmosphere of the city as well as any liquid in close proximity. Residents couldn't have wine, milk, or even soup without tasting death. Given its proximity to the main food market of central Paris, that was a problem. But even worse, he reported that the humidity of decay clung to the houses nearby, so the walls themselves were damp to the touch with cadaverous condensation. As you can imagine, people got sick. It wasn't only Monsieur Gravelot's wife. Other residents reported respiratory trouble, liver issues, delirium, and uncontrollable vomiting. It was said that you could get sick just from walking past it, or worse. In 1776, a local shoemaker reportedly tripped and fell into an open pit. He was found dead the next day, though it's unclear whether it was from the fall itself or who he landed on. But the toxic gases of 1780 weren't the only thing that had made it into people's basements. Only a few years earlier, in the 1770s, the filled-to-bursting common grave for Paris's poor exploded into the cellars of many of the neighboring houses, filling them with countless bodies in no condition to be moved. But in fairness, they tried. In many of these older cemeteries, they would traditionally leave the bodies buried for a certain amount of time before eventually removing the bones and interring them in charnel houses and other locations. This was done in the Cemetery of Innocents, but it was the same story everywhere. The cemeteries were overflowing, the charnel houses throughout the city were packed. There was nowhere left for the dead to go. Clearly, this was a problem, so as a response to the gas leaks on the Rue de la Lingerie, Louis XVI officially closed the Cemetery of Innocents in 1780, followed by the rest of the public cemeteries in the city. The Journal of Paris commented on the issue that year, saying that nobody could possibly deny the danger that the dead posed to the living. The danger was real, and it was time to do something about it. But it wasn't immediately clear what to do with all the bodies. As it happened, the answer was right under their feet. Beneath Paris was a vast system of underground quarries that had been mined for limestone and gypsum since the 14th century. The rock was relatively soft, and overmining meant that the streets above weren't as stable as they should have been. In 1774, the Rue d'Enfer Rochereau collapsed, a hundred feet of street and houses caving into the empty mines a hundred feet below. As a response to this tragedy and other cave-ins that had begun to happen over the mines, Louis XVI signed a decree in September of 1776 to stop mining under public roads. God, you'd hope so. Additionally, he opened the Department of General Quarry Inspection to protect the mines and the houses that had been built on top of them. 177 miles of tunnels stretched beneath the city in several levels, descending hundreds of feet below the street. By the time Louis sent his inspectors down there, 
No one knew for sure how far they went or how they connected, and the plans, if there ever were any, had long since been lost. The technique the medieval miners had used meant that wells were dug straight down into the deposits, then the minerals were removed via horizontal tunnels gradually winding their way up. Based almost entirely on ancient mineral deposits, the tunnels wouldn't make sense to the modern explorer, let alone an administrator sent down there with a lantern. It was difficult to navigate and unnerving to explore, but it was just empty space. It was a natural place to put the bodies. Once the idea to use the catacombs was accepted, it only became a matter of planning. A portion of the quarries was designated as a public ossuary or a place to store the bones. It began at an old city gate locally known as the Barrier d'Enfer or the Gate of Hell. It sounds ominous, but it was actually just a play on words based on its proximity to the Place d'Enfer Rochereau, which is just a name. <laughs> Still, it was an appropriate starting point for what would soon become known as the Empire of Death. Beginning in April of 1785, bodies were moved in nightly processions from Paris's cemeteries to their new resting place beneath the city. Over the next six months, the Cemetery of Innocence was excavated overnight, but people still turned up to watch it in droves. Louis-Sébastien Mercier reported an atmosphere of morbid curiosity as the young and the healthy arrived to watch ghostly gravediggers removing hundreds of bodies in various states of decomposition. When they were removed, the carts were covered in black cloth to respect the dead and spare the living the sight, but it was never going to be a pleasant process. Residents of nearby neighborhoods complained of the smell as the carts passed by, sometimes dropping pieces of human remains as they went. More than 20,000 bodies were removed from the Cemetery of Innocence, but that was just the start. Cemeteries and charnel houses throughout the city were slowly emptied and carried to the catacombs in nightly processions for the next 20 years. By the time they were done, an estimated 6 million people had been laid to rest in the quarries beneath the city. The process had continued through the French Revolution and the Terror until Napoleon Bonaparte ordered the catacombs to be converted into a public monument. To this end, ventilation was improved, and sections of bones were artfully arranged by a team led by engineer Ericard de Toury. From its grand opening in 1809 to 1830, the catacombs were a popular tourist attraction, welcoming curious crowds from every walk of life into the empire of death. But of course, this wasn't the only attraction for the morbidly curious in Paris. As we talked about in episode 5, this is also the period when Robertson's Phantasmagoria had conquered Paris and was now traveling the world. In case you missed that episode, the Phantasmagoria was a popular horror show performed by the physicist Etienne Gaspard Robert, stage name Robertson, armed with hundreds of slides, a modified projector, and a very dark sense of humor. 
After seeing ghosts, demons, and dancing skeletons come to life in the crypts of the nearby Capuchin convent, it would have made sense for the catacombs to be your next stop. But more than that, cemetery tourism picked up in Paris after the revolution for a couple of important reasons. The atmosphere was politically charged, and the people of France, and Paris in particular, were trying to find a new national identity. Everyone had different ideas of the direction things should go, and death was one of the only things that united everyone. The catacombs became a symbol of history, shared identity, and ultimately, equality, as the bones interred were indistinguishable in death. Aristocrats were displayed beside laborers and beggars in walls of almost identical skulls. In death, all finally achieved the equality they had fought so hard for in life. Besides, the new cemeteries were beautiful. Around this time, Père Lachaise was opened at the edge of the city, transforming the idea of the urban cemetery from the overflowing nightmare of the Cemetery of Innocence to the immense, clean, and staggeringly beautiful City of the Dead that remains a major tourist attraction to this day. As they are now, the catacombs were a big draw to 19th century tourists. Starting at the so-called Gate of Hell, guests would descend 90 steps below the city to tour the catacombs by candlelight. The passages were filled with tourists' decoratively arranged bone sculptures, as well as some interesting architectural features, including, bizarrely, a pond of goldfish. Okay. <laughs> Since they had been renovated, the catacombs were relatively safe, but tour guides still had to warn guests not to leave the group at any point. Lost underground without a candle or any chance of anyone above hearing you scream, if you took a wrong turn and somehow ended up in the quarry, well, you might not ever make it out. Over the years, people definitely got lost. As early as 1793, a hospital worker named Philibert Asper entered the catacombs from an entrance in the courtyard of the Val de Grasse Hospital. No one knows for sure how, why he went down there alone, but it has been suggested that he hoped to find a way into the cellars of a nearby convent to steal a bottle of their chartreuse. It was reported that, quote, he descended the winding stair. Lantern in hand, he entered that awful labyrinth, and he never came back. How long he lived or how he died, how long his feeble lantern kept alight, or for how many hours or days he may have wandered in darkness, ere death put an end to his sufferings, these are among the secrets of the catacombs. His body wasn't found until 11 years later, when it was eventually identified thanks to his set of hospital keys, which still hung around his waist. Now around this time, Gothic novels were gaining popularity in France, and following the opening of the catacombs, and of course throughout the rest of the 19th century, several horror stories were set there. They continue to inspire fiction to this day, as well as art of other kinds. Paris has some of the best art museums in the world, but the largest and most exclusive is under the feet of the millions of tourists who pass through every year. Today, the quarries adjacent to the catacombs have been filled with the most incredible art created by cataphiles who explore the tunnels illegally. 
Now, this is illegal at the moment based purely on how dangerous this is, but that hasn't put people off. Murals and sculptures cover the walls, everything from reproductions of classical works of art to surreal monsters and 3D figures that seem to emerge from the shadows, and all of it has been left over a period of more than 200 years. Murals from the French Revolution and the Prussian Siege are side by side with drawings from the German occupation and even cartoon characters from the 90s. But it's not all paint. A secret movie theater operated in the catacombs not so very long ago, and over the years, music has been recorded down there as well. But here's my personal favorite fact about that, and this isn't something that's particularly well known. On April 2nd, 1897, a secret concert was held in the catacombs themselves, not far from the Place d'Enfer Rochereau. This was the time that the Heaven and Hell nightclubs from episode 5 were operating in Montmartre, not so very far away. Now, that night, it was a new moon, so the sky was as dark as it gets. A hundred guests snuck into the catacombs at midnight with the help of two of the workmen for a performance that lasted until two in the morning. The set list included such spooky favorites as Chopin's Funeral March and Saint-Saëns Danse Macabre, because of course. <laughs> One of my favorites. If you'd like to find out more about the art in the catacombs, I really recommend Paris Underground by Caroline Archer and Alexandre Perret. It includes a little history as well as hundreds of incredible photos, so it really is well worth checking out. This episode was brought to you by my own sense of morbid curiosity, which I'm pleased to report remains as healthy as ever or un, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> and I'd also like to give a cheeky shout out to my MFA professor, the great novelist Stevie Davis, who once remarked that I can't seem to tell a story without a body count. Well, 12 years later, I still can't. <laughs> Though admittedly, the body count in this story is a little high, even for me. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, come to think of it, I should probably actually read something more cheerful now because I am recording this at 2 o'clock in the morning and I know that I am going to have some very interesting dreams. I do also want to briefly mention that next week uh, we are going to take a very brief break from our Halloween series to bring you something uh, just a little bit different instead. Next week, I will have a very special and super secret guest on the podcast to help me out. I'd tell you more, but I don't want to give it away, so you'll just have to tune in to see who it is. I can't wait to share it with you. This week, I'd very much like to thank our amazing patrons on Patreon. You guys keep this whole show on the road, and I really cannot thank you enough. So thank you very much to Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Andy Christopher, Rachel Cooney, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, and Echo Spoot. If you would like to support the show, please check us out on patreon.com slash dirtysexyhistory. You can also please rate, review, and subscribe because it really does help us out. As always, you can find us through our website at dirtysexyhistory.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where of course I will post photos related to this week's show. 
Uh, given the subject matter, this week is going to be a little grimmer than usual, so uh, consider yourselves warned. Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast, and this episode was written, produced, and obsessed over by me, Jessica Kale, and it was edited by John Jenkins. This week's sources include Caroline Archer and Alexandre Poiré, Paris Underground, Alastair Horn, Seven Ages of Paris, Erin Marie Legacy, Making Space for the Dead, Catacombs, Cemeteries, and the Reimagining of Paris, 1780 to 1830, Lost Paris, The Cemetery of Innocence, Culture and Stuff, Jerry Walton, Paris Catacombs and Associated Interesting Tales. See you next week.